Hey, guys. Last Veritas for spring break. That is kind of crazy. Time moves super fast. Uh, can we give another round of applause to the band real fast? I don't know. I was feeling that tonight. I was honestly getting a little bit of weep, weepy in the back. Um, but hey, if we've not met before, my name is Davis. I am on staff here at Veritas. I do guys' ministry. Um, and I'm going to jump straight into it tonight because we are talking about time. And ironically, if I don't get started, uh, I'm going to go over on time. And in a week with midterms, you guys don't want that. So um, to recap, we are now in a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Kyle said a lot of this up last week, but just kind of quick summary. Ecclesiastes uh, is really shaky, apparently. Um, but it's a book of the Old Testament. And if you don't know, the Bible is made up into kind of different types of, of literature and the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. Uh, and so that's Proverbs, that's Psalms, that's the book of Job. But uh, Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. Uh, it's a little more poetic. It's a little more depressing, uh, depending on who you ask. But to be honest, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, my wife is here. She can attest to that. That's not just me saying this for a sermon series. Like, genuinely, that is true. Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible. And that's because, like, I'm a pretty sentimental guy. Um, I don't like doing things just for the sake of doing them. Like, I want the stuff that I do to have purpose. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes does so well is it addresses that question for us of, like, what is our purpose? Like, I think that is one of the biggest questions that I'm asking in life is what is my purpose? And I think that's true for you guys, too. Um, Kyle references it all the time, but there's a book that gives us three questions um, that our generation is asking. And one of the main ones about life is just what is our purpose? And I think Ecclesiastes does an awesome job just cutting kind of straight to the heart of it. Um, I want to go ahead and read verse one to kind of help set the tone. I don't, okay, great, it is on the screen. That's a bummer. Um, I'm going to read it anyways. Okay, so it says, oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm going to read it from my notes. Um, so it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So that's the tone. Maybe not exactly what you were wanting to kick off your spring break. But uh, this teacher, we don't know who it is, um, but they're pretty qualified to say this. They lived a very full life. And after looking at all of that, the conclusion they come to is that Everything is meaningless. And so, you know, where better to start than asking what our purpose is in life? Um, but I think if we jump to Ecclesiastes 3, that's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. We get to start moving this conversation forward a little bit. Kyle did a really great job setting up that question of, like, what is our purpose? Why is Ecclesiastes the thing that helps us address it? Um, and Ecclesiastes 3 starts with a poem that I think actually, like, moves us forward in the conversation, closer to an answer. Um, so let's go ahead and read it. Ecclesiastes 3 starts with verse 1. I'm just going to stick over here for now. Um, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. It's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. I think that's like farming language. It's not like just skipping stones in a pond. Um, it says, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. I think there's one more. 
time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So it's a little uh, repetitive, but you might actually recognize that poem. It's really popular. It gets used at like a lot of weddings and funerals and not even just like Christian weddings and funerals. Like it gets used all over the place because it's just this like 16 line summary of life. And I think there's something kind of beautiful about it. Like in the extremes, you know, there's a time to be born and then there's a time to die. There's a time to laugh and then there's a time to mourn. Like in those extremes, it kind of just sums up all of what life is going to be for us. And so I think for a generation that is like anxious about what's coming, there's something nice about this poem because it says, you know what's coming. The the teacher doesn't know who we are. He doesn't know what kind of life we're going to live, but he lived life on earth and he knows what the human experience is. It's some really beautiful seasons and it's some really hard seasons. And there's something kind of reassuring about knowing that like that is what life is going to be, is some good and some bad. Um, And so I find some comfort in that. It almost kind of reminds me of like those montage scenes in drama movies when uh, there's like emotional music playing and all of the like the good and the bad scenes are kind of flashing by in rapid colors and it's overwhelming and you just get to zoom out and like see the bigger picture of everything that happened in life. And I think that poem is kind of trying to do that for us. Like it's saying like this is what the human experience is. And so it tells us how we are going to spend our time. There's something comforting in that, that we can know how we are going to spend our time, what we are going to do in our lives, what is going to make up our time here. And I think for some of us that kind of starts to answer the question of purpose, right? Like it's just enjoy your time, ride the wave. Some of it's going to be good, some of it's going to be bad, but like just make the most of it. Carpe diem, I, I think you guys know that phrase. We all probably had to watch uh, Dead Poet Society in high school English. Uh, but if not, like just seize the day, right? Like just enjoy it. Make the most of the time that you are given. That feels like a purpose that we can start to run with is like just get through the seasons. But there's a hang up there. Because for everything this poem does to summarize how we're going to spend our time, it doesn't do anything to address how much of it we're going to have. That is not something that the teacher can tell us, because he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know when his life was going to end. He doesn't know when our lives are going to end. But that's something we have to wrestle with, is we don't know how much time we're going to have. And so, yeah, you know, we enjoy the seasons while we have them, but we don't know how much time there is between, you know, the time we were born and the time where we die. And the reality is that, like, life moves really, really fast. And time is, whether you know it or not, running out. And I know that I'm saying that to a room full of, like, 18 to 21-year-olds. But I actually first kind of realized that right as I finished college. I graduated. I got married. uh, I started this job, and I moved into an apartment all in the span of, like, two and a half weeks. And throughout that entire process, every step of the way, I just kept having the thought of, like, I think I'm supposed to feel older than this right now. Like, I don't think I'm ready for this stuff. I thought I was just a freshman. I mean, juniors and seniors, raise your hands if you feel like time in college has gone faster than you expected it to. Okay, yeah, that's a good amount of hands. Freshmen, I know you don't feel it, but like, look around. That is a good amount of people who are saying that this stuff goes faster than we want it to. And there's actually research that shows that uh, our perception of time only gets faster as we get older. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but like when you were a kid, it felt like every day was forever, right? Like time just lasted forever when you're a kid. And some of that's probably that 
you don't have any decisions that you're making, like your parents are doing everything for you, and so you're just kind of going along in life, and you maybe even feel that sense of like, I want more freedom, and so it just feels like it's taking forever for me to grow up. But there's research that shows uh, that's not the only thing that happens, that actually as we age, our perception of time slows down, and so we literally perceive less of the day. I don't, I'm not smart enough, honestly, to comprehend quite how it works, um, but there's something about our perception of time that slows down, and so my 24 hours as I get older starts to feel more like 23, and then 22, and then 21, and so it's not dramatic to say that, like, time is running out, and it moves really quickly, and I think Ecclesiastes wants us to, to sit in that. It's uncomfortable, and it maybe feels a little bit irrelevant when we're younger, but, like, the seasons, they come and they go. We don't have time to reread the poem, but if we did, you would see that there's this nature to it that's just fast. Time to be born and a time to die, time to mourn and a, and a time to laugh. Like, the seasons just come and go really quickly. And so we're hunting for purpose in all of it, and it feels like we're running out of time, and there's just this pressure. And Ecclesiastes says, hey, that's okay. That's actually maybe a little bit by design. But if I'm honest, it kind of keeps me up at night. That idea that, like, this might be it. Like, this life I have might be the only one I get, and I'm 25 now, so at best, I'm like a third of the way through. And the optimist would look at that and say, hey, you get to do what you already did two more times. That's awesome. And the pessimist would say, well, yeah, but, you know, you're a third of the way done, and you actually don't even know that that stuff's promised, and so uh, can you really be sure that you get to live to 75? And, like, that keeps me up at night. I mean, I said it earlier, I'm a sentimental guy, but genuinely, like, that freaks me out that time is running out in my life. Time is a gift. Life is really, really beautiful. But one of the tough things about time is that it only goes in one direction. No matter how beautiful life is, no matter how much I enjoy the moments in my life, they only go in one direction. That's not meant to be a one direction <laughs> reference, but um, it reminds me of, of my wedding day. Um, yeah, that's me. That's me and my wife, Emily. She looks amazing. I look 12. Um, yeah, I was uh, 21 at the time, which is still young, but kind of embarrassing that I look that young. Um, but that reminds me of my wedding day, because if you asked me, like, the happiest day in my life, I would point to this day. Reason one is because I got to marry my amazing wife, Emily. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Reason two, though, is that everybody I loved was in one room. And so I remember on our wedding day, things had kind of wound down. Emily and I were kind of just processing the day, and I just start weeping. Like, genuinely, I am sobbing, can't get words out, and uh, she, she, poor girl, uh, assumes that I think I've made a mistake, and that I'm sobbing because I regret the fact that we just got married that day, and I'm crying too hard to, like, reassure her. Like, the reason I'm crying is because I know that I just lived through, like, a beautiful day that everybody I love from back home, my family, all the people I grew up with, and everybody that I met here in college at Veritas that I was going to like live and be in church with and, and do life with and work with afterwards, all of those people, most of them were in one room. And that was incredible, like genuinely like the best day of my life. But the sad thing is that it only happened once. Like in that, mo in that moment, I knew like I was never going to relive that day. It kind of reminds me of a movie 
It's called About Time. I don't know if anybody here has seen it. Yeah, some of you. I would recommend it. It's phenomenal. Um, slightly inappropriate at times. Don't blame me. Um, but truly, go and watch it. It's awesome. Um, but this movie, this guy, uh, Donald Gleason, his character is kind of coming of age. He's getting ready to go out of the nest and, and do life on his own. And his dad lets him in on a family secret. He says, hey, all of the guys in our family can time travel. And at first he doesn't believe him. He thinks he's playing a prank. But then he tries it and it, and it works. And so I'm not going to spoil all of the ways that it plays out because I want you to go and watch the movie. Um, but he uses it in all these ways and he slowly starts testing out and realizing like, I can live life as many times as I want to. I can redo things in my life, both to relive beautiful moments, and I can change the moments that don't go very well. And so I start, you know, every time I watch this movie, I start getting emotional because I want that. And I think the reason this movie is popular is because we all want that. We want more time. We want to be able to relive the beautiful moments in life. I would love to go back and relive my wedding day partially to, to savor it, but partially just to like do it all over again and to have that fun and to remember not just in my memories, but like in the moment what it was like to be there and to feel that much joy. But I think that uh, Ecclesiastes wants us to wrestle with the question, why? Like, why do I so desperately want to go back? Or maybe a little bit more pointedly, like, what does that change? If I could go back and make every single day of my life my wedding day, if I could take all of the bad seasons of my life and turn them into the most beautiful day I've ever experienced, like, so what? And I will say that flippantly, but like at the end of the day, if the lights go off and there's nothing past this life, genuinely, so what? Like, if every single day of my life was beautiful and awesome, and someday I'm not going to know the difference, then like, yeah, me currently right now, I'd say, uh, give me the beautiful stuff. Like, I want the joy. I want the peace. I want the happiness. But someday I'm not going to know the difference. So yeah, it feels like important now, but like in the grand scheme of things, like what does it matter? Genuinely, like what does it matter if it all just kind of fades to black someday? It is insufficient. More time to find my purpose, more time to just enjoy things, just soaking up the day, it is insufficient if at the end of the day, it all just goes to black. It reminds me of um, a Larry King interview. If you don't know who Larry King is, he used to be a talk show host. Um, he's like your parents' generation, maybe even a little bit older than that. Uh, he has passed now, but he was pretty notorious for wanting to be frozen when he died. Like, talked about it a good amount. Um, I don't know if it ended up happening. I think that there have been like news articles that have tried to figure it out, but um, his reasoning for it is pretty interesting. So I want to go ahead and watch a quick interview he did with Conan where he talks about like why he wants to be frozen in death. You plan to be cryogenically frozen. I said, well, you did my show, Dinner with the Kings. Yeah. Uh, it was a great, one of the great shows yeah. ever. Yes, and you were shocked at that. I was shocked that you want to be cryogenically frozen. Well, here. Why? It, okay. I don't believe in an afterlife. I can't, I, I just never accepted it. I never made that leap of faith. So, that means when you die, it's bye-bye, baby, right? Right. Lights out. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. So the only hope, the only fragment of hope, is to be frozen, and then someday they cure whatever you died of, and you're back. <laughs> so in other words, you put me in the ground, or you, uh, you uh, burn me up, whatever, that's... 
I don't, that's not where I designed that to end, but um, I mean, listen, listen to what he's saying. The only fragment of hope I have in death is that someday they're going to cure whatever killed me and they're going to bring me back. You know, the lights went off, but then the lights come back on and I get to go back to being Larry King. And I don't want to disrespect the guy, but like, it's the same question I have with my wedding day. Like, so what? If Larry King just goes back to doing all the stuff that Larry King did, he gets a little bit more time to do it. Like, if it ends in the same place that it did the first time, what does he actually gain from that? It's a tough question to wrestle with, but I think it's an important one. Like, if all of this just fades, like, why do it in the first place? And so, Ecclesiastes 1 through 8, I think, does a really great job of telling us how we're going to spend our time but it's deficient in some ways because it doesn't tell us how much time we're going to get. And I think more importantly than that, it doesn't tell us why we do any of the things that we do. And so uh, I want to kind of get into the rest of Ecclesiastes 3 because I think that the, uh, the teacher kind of starts to move the conversation forward a little bit. Because like I said earlier, this dude was, was wealthy. This dude had access to everything he could possibly want. He chased meaning in every way that you and I think to. And in the end, he comes to verse 9. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? So don't get caught up in the workers' language. What he's saying here is that after a lifetime, seasons on seasons on seasons on seasons, of looking for purpose in the stuff that can be found in a human life here on earth, he could not find anything that he counted as gain. And what are his credentials to say that? Well, he chased everything. He chased wisdom. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 12 to 15 says, Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So, yeah, it's better to be wise than to be a fool. Who wouldn't want to be smarter? But he says the wise, you know, he says the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And so we look for purpose in our intelligence, our degree. We want to get a PhD or we want to read as many books as we can or we want to know everything about a particular subject. We want to be smarter than the people around us because that feels like we're gaining something. It feels like something that we can work towards. But at the end of the day, the wise person and the fool meet the same fate. But he didn't just look in wisdom. He also looked in like his legacy and his work. Continuing on in Ecclesiastes 2, he said, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And so he's saying, look, man, I built an empire. I worked my butt off and I did everything I wanted to. Like I built and I built and I built. And at the end of the day, I had to hand it to somebody and I have no idea what they're going to do with it. And yeah, okay, maybe that person takes it and, and multiplies it, and it's even bigger than it was, but then they hand it to somebody, and someday it's going to crumble. And if this guy doesn't know that any of that happened in the first place, then like, what does it matter? What does work and, and legacy matter when we're just trying to find our purpose and like the things that we do in our achievements? But he doesn't just stop there. He also pursued pleasure. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 2 says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. It's really uplifting. And what does pleasure accomplish? 
I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And so then he jumps um, to verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, when I looked at everything that I did in my life, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I think the best summary is actually in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 1.8. It says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. So at the end of the day, he chased pleasure. And I think this is the really attractive one. It's like, okay, great. My, my work's not going to last. My wisdom's not going to last. But if this life is all there is, then like, I might as well feel good while I'm living it, right? But this dude chased everything. He said no to nothing. And at the end of the day, after eating and drinking and having as much sex as he wanted, he realized like it doesn't add anything. At the end of the day, all of that stuff fades too. And so I think Ecclesiastes wants us to realize that like time is not the issue. What we do with our time isn't even really the issue. What we need is a purpose to the stuff that we do with our time. It's not just figuring out what's going to fill us. It's going to figure out what is going to last and so he moves the conversation, I think, forward towards an actual purpose in verse 10. He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So I think this is where we start to pivot. He says, look, I had this one life on earth, and I chased everything, and none of it added up. But some of it felt really beautiful. Some of it felt really meaningful, and it was. It was meaningful in its time. Work and relationships and pleasure, like none of that stuff is bad, but it is just too small. It's too temporary. But then, if you catch it at the end here, it's not a question for him. There is an eternity. He believes that there is an eternity and that we were made with it in our hearts. We were made for it. And I think that's a beautiful reality is that this life feels really insufficient. This life feels really small and short and temporary and unsatisfying because it is. But the good news is like it's not all that we are made for. We are made to have eternity in our hearts. We long for more because it was put in us. We can sense that there is supposed to be more than just our like short years in life, that there is supposed to be more satisfaction and meaning to the stuff that we do than just doing some stuff while the lights are on and then they turn off someday. We want a purpose that lasts, that is not just temporary. And so I think, just to reiterate, like we don't just need more time. We need more meaning in our lives. We need the things that we are filling our time with to add up to something. And so I want to go back to the uh, question that Kyle asked at the end of last week. It's not word for word, but it's the same sentiment. He said, are you looking for a purpose that satisfies temporarily or a purpose that lasts into eternity? Because I think at the end of the day, we all want the purpose that lasts. But we get stuck looking for it in all of the things that are temporary. 
We try to find our meaning in our MCAT or our LSAT scores or our GPA. We try to find our meaning in the degrees that we're chasing and the jobs that we end up in. We try to find our meaning in the relationship or the family that we're going to end up raising. We try to find our meaning in just doing as much stuff that feels good as possible and in avoiding all of the stuff that doesn't feel good. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, hey, I did all of that and it was not enough. It wasn't enough because it's not designed to be enough. You were created for more. You were created not just to do more things, but for those things to have a purpose beyond just your temporary life. And so it's not shocking that like when we, when we stop and we look for our purpose in those things, we have to up the ante. We have to go back to them over and over. You know, you get drunk on the weekends and you end up with your head in a toilet and then you go back the next weekend and you do it again because, hey, it didn't fill you. Or you sit down and you watch porn and you get this really great high and then you get this super low shame, but then you come back to it the next time hoping for something that you didn't get the first time. Or you move forward in your degree and you get the better internship and then you get the awesome job and then you get the even better job and you get the cool office and the great house and none of it adds up. Like you just want more and more. I mean, like look at like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Like those dudes aren't happy. They have everything that we think we want, and they're not happy. They are looking for more. Larry King was looking for more. The reason he wanted to come back wasn't just because he wanted more time. It's because he wanted his time to mean something. He wasn't satisfied with the time he had. He wasn't able to just say, hey, that was good. That was enough. He was like, no, I need more, because he never was able to find the meaning in those things. But I think the amazing news in Ecclesiastes 3 is that there is more for you. Last set of verses. Ecclesiastes 3, 11, or 12 to 14. So that I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. So the beautiful news here is not just that there is an eternity, but that that eternal reality means that the stuff that we do in our life can mean something. But it's not just because it's going to fill us but it's because it points us to the one who can. Eternity is real. Eternity is a reality. God, and we talked about it in the reflection earlier during music, like God exists outside of time. And it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around, but there is an eternal timeline. And the things that we do in this life matter into eternity because God is keeping track of all of it. And it says it is going to endure forever. And then God entered into our timeline and he gave us his son, Jesus. He sent him to this earth to live a perfect life and then to die for our sins and then to be resurrected so that you and I could enter into that eternity too. But I want to make it really clear that eternity is not just more time. Eternity is not just a chance to do more of the stuff that you've been doing in life. I think we have this view of heaven that is like, I'm just going to get to do all the things that I enjoy, but like forever? And that actually reminds me of the show, The Good Place. Um, towards the ending of the show, uh, there is a kind of low-quality picture, but uh, there's this concept of this door. And so what's happening here is The Good Place is all about, like, heaven and hell. Did you go to the good place? Did you go to the bad place? And we get to the final season, and all of the characters are living in the good place. It is this representation of eternity. And so they're in eternity. Like, they can do whatever they want for as long as they want. But then they realize, like, it's not filling us. Like, it is not ultimately enough. And so then they create this door, and they don't know what's beyond the door. 
they literally designed this door to uh, be something that like nobody can comprehend. And so they don't know what happens when they go through the door, but it's just the next step. And so they make this rule where it's like, hey, you can stay in eternity and you can have your fill of everything you've ever wanted for as long as you could ever want it. And then when you're done, go through the door. We don't know what happens next, but you know, you move on to the next thing. And every single character chooses to go through the door because at the end of the day, eternity, if it's just more stuff without Jesus, if that stuff does not point to the eternal one who created us and knows what's going to satisfy us, if it doesn't result in a relationship with the one who is the source of all good things, then it is not going to satisfy. Eternity is going to end up being boring. We're going to get tired of it, and we're going to want to move on to something else. So for as off as I think they are theologically, I think it's profound because it shows us that like we don't just need more time. We want meaning in life, and I think that that meaning comes not just in having an eternal timeline, but in having eternal relationship with Jesus, who is the source of all beauty in our life. And so Ecclesiastes wants us to wrestle with that question that I asked earlier. It wants us to wrestle with the question of whether we are looking for a purpose that satisfies temporarily or one that lasts into eternity. I think it's really tempting to just blow past this. And maybe you're even a little bit frustrated. You're like, man, I thought this was going to be where we start to like, tell me what the purpose is. Tell me how to go and live it. But I think that Ecclesiastes doesn't do that. Like, it's not just giving us the easy answer. It wants us to sit with the question of, like, do you actually want eternity? Because eternity is not just more of the things that you're already doing. Eternity is a deep, intimate, all-knowing, all-loving relationship with your creator. And so, if you're not sure about Jesus, that's okay. Um, I don't expect that to be true of everybody in the room. But I think that this question is still worth wrestling with. Partially because we don't have as much time as we think we do. Time is running out, and so like, why wait to start asking which purpose you're living for? But I also think that whether we can trust the Bible fully or not, it's okay if you're not there yet. But this teacher guy, he knew what he was talking about. He tried it all, and it did not work for him. And so if you're holding out hope that somehow it's going to be different for you, I mean, yeah, okay, go and try it. But that makes me really sad because I think that the truth is apparent. That, like, that stuff is never going to fill you. It's not just that it fades to black. It's that even if you had as much of it as you could ever want, it is not going to be enough. You were made for more, and Jesus is that more, a relationship with your creator, the source of all good things. Like, that's why we can enjoy those things, is because they point us to the one who is the source of all goodness and happiness and peace in life. So why wait to enter a relationship with him? Why wait to ask yourself that question? And I think to the Christians in the room, the people who are already following Jesus, we still have to ask this question because I think it is really tempting to say like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm already living for Jesus. I'm following him. He is my purpose. Now tell me how to go and live that. But again, like that's not what the book of Ecclesiastes does. It says, hey, if you want to be following Jesus in 30 years, like if Christianity is not just like this phase in college or your you know, early adulthood, if you want to be following Jesus forever, then we have to ask the question, like, is Jesus actually who I am looking for? Or is Jesus just kind of my vehicle to all of this stuff that I enjoy? And it comes with like a list of questions of like, why are you in the major you're in? Why are you in the relationship you're in? 
Why are you doing the things that you're doing with your time? Like, Jesus wants us to ask that question because if we're going to get to the part where we start building out what is our purpose and how do we live it out, we have to be willing to admit when Jesus is not what we're looking for. And we have to be willing to repent and turn back to him because he's the only thing that is going to satisfy us. So as the music team comes back up, um, that movie about time that I mentioned earlier, uh, I guess, spoiler warning, um, the ending I think is really beautiful because it ends in a way where this guy has been going back and reliving different parts of his life over and over and over. And eventually, he decides, like we've been talking about tonight, like the point isn't just more time. That's not going to make him any happier. And so he decides to stop traveling back in time. He decides to just live life like a person who can't time travel, to just soak in all of the beauty as the moments come, to accept the bad days and to really enjoy the good ones. You know, it's, it's the definition of like savor your time, carpe diem. Like it comes to the conclusion that like more time's not going to satisfy me. I just need to live in the moment. And I think there's beauty to that. Like I think that that's a, a fine message. But the reality is that like our lives are not just some montage that cuts to black at the end. We were made for eternity. We are going to live into eternity. And so the things that we do right now, they do matter. But they matter because they point us to the eternal one. In the Bible, it says that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And those words are follow me. They're not just go and do more of what you were already doing. I think if we're honest with ourselves, like we can see that that stuff does not fill us. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only one who is more. Jesus is the only reason that eternity is something we should even want. It's not just a chance to just go do more. It is a chance to be with the one who is more. You were created for eternity. You have it in your heart. We long for it. Your purpose it is going to last into eternity. But that eternity is a relationship with Jesus. It's not just stuff that you do in this temporary life. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us because we have spring break coming up and um, I know that this stuff can be kind of heavy so I want to um, just ask that Jesus would help us apply this to our lives, that we would be able to move forward into our break um, not just stuck in, in the fear and the confusion of like what are we supposed to be doing time's running out but that we could rest in, in the hope and the joy that we have eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, we are just overwhelmed with thankfulness that you are real, that you walked this earth, that you knew what it was like to live a human life, that you had memories that you wanted to relive, that you like you walked this earth and you, you knew what it was like to be human. And yet you knew that there was a bigger story being told, that there was a different timeline that we were operating within, and that you are the source of all goodness and that we don't just experience you while we live this short life, but that we get to be with you for eternity if we believe in you. And so we just ask that you would help us rest in that truth, that wherever we're going for spring break, be that on a trip to Jamaica to serve people, be that back home to hang out with our family, be that some kind of trip with our friends or just staying in town, God, that we have and that we would be able to rest in that. That we would use our break to go and enjoy the things that you've given in us in life. That we would go and make beautiful memories because everything is beautiful in its time and, and you gave us life as a gift. 
but we wouldn't just use that life to kind of selfishly chase purpose that we know is not going to satisfy us, but that we would ultimately put our hope and find rest in you. It's in your name I pray.